to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And we are talking about the Duff. We are talking about the Duff. <laughs> Part of me was kind of like, I feel like I should relate to this book because I think I was a Duff. I was definitely yet... a Duff. And yet... <sighs> I don't know. I have thoughts about both this book and this film. I don't feel like either one of them are entirely successful, but for completely different reasons, question mark? Yeah, I agree. I was going to say the book does more complex and interesting things, I think, but often fails at them. (laughs) And the film erases anything remotely interesting from the book content. Oh, yay. I feel like the book (laughs) is... Yeah, it's definitely shooting for more. It's not a comedy per no. se, right? Like it's almost a semi-serious drama. Yes. And then the film is blatantly a comedy and has no interest in tackling heavy, serious themes. Except yes. maybe a little touch of cyberbullying. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yes, you're right. But it doesn't even deal with that in it's not it doesn't even take it as seriously as like PS I love you. No. Yeah. Um no. Joe, can I just say for the benefit of our listeners that we are still in social isolation mode and thus I have my small friend here with me because I'm not sure you're going to be able to edit out all of his commentary. Sounds fine. Yes, he did make it into the last episode just briefly. It's like your your own bingo square every time Baby Groot pops up somewhere in the podcast. He's normally really good with these learning games. He really focuses on them and it's good, but sometimes like he X's out of the app or whatever and then it's just it's all hell breaks loose. So <laughs> Well, he's very representative of all of us, isn't he? <laughs> true it's true i can't even get that mad at him (laughs) that's exactly life right now yeah so i guess i don't know i guess we should get into it should we get into it absolutely brenna what is the duff so the duff is a young adult novel obviously by cody keplinger uh that came out in 2011 and joe Mm -hmm. keplinger was 17 when she wrote this book yes i was going to flag this as something that we should be cognizant of because i do think that some i don't want to say it's immaturity but there's definitely it's immature okay (laughs) like many of the books we have read by particularly young writers yes it has a pretty facile view of human relationships that is both appropriate to the age of the subjects and extremely frustrating for an adult reader yes and that is one of the things that i noticed when i was looking at reviews particularly of the book there were a lot of what i gathered to be adult readers who were quite frustrated with the main character bianca because she can be a bit much yeah (laughs) i am gonna get into the plot i swear but i actually want to preface it with my favorite review of the book can i share with you my favorite review of the book absolutely so it's by andrea simakis she writes okay this is so good the novel gives off a whiff of promise like a pleasing sample scent you spray on your wrist at sephora It's only hours later, when the odor has become cloying, that you're glad you didn't buy it. (laughs) Wow. 
<laughs> That's how I feel applicable. about this book. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So this is the story of Bianca Piper. And Bianca is part of a threesome of girls. Casey and Jessica are her best friends. They spend a lot of time at this just absolutely inexplicable hangout called makes The Nest. no sense to me <laughs> at all. It's like an alcohol-free bar for children. Yes. The Nest is ridiculous. I do remember that there are all ages clubs yeah but all ages not just children <laughs> mm-hmm. and not with 30 year old bartenders making small talk with underage girls all of it is weird and i don't understand how such a business would maintain market share in a community as tiny as we're told hamilton new york is mm, i think it's new yeah. york right to be honest i read this last week and i can barely remember <laughs> It's not a memorable book. Okay, so anyway, they're this best friend group. But the thing is, like, Bianca actually, like, hates the nest, doesn't like the same things Casey and Jessica does. But they are good friends. Like, it's not yes. a, it's not a surface friendship. They are mm-hmm. really good friends. They know each other really well. It's just that Bianca's kind of an offbeat character compared to her friends, who are a little bit more typically high school, right? Like, Casey right. is a cheerleader. Jessica is, well, they're both, like, sort of stunningly beautiful teen girls, extremely popular. Mm-hmm. And Bianca is their friend. And the plot sort of kicks off at this nest place when Casey and Jessica are off dancing. Bianca is sitting, as she always does at the bar, drinking a cherry Coke. And she's approached by Wesley Rush, who is like the hot guy on campus. Mm-hmm. Has no friends because all he does is sleep with available women. Well, he has one friend. He has, he has a one gay friend. friend. Oh, yeah, he has a convenient gay friend who Mm -hmm. we never learn anything about. (laughs) No, not even a secondary character. Not even a last name, I'm pretty sure. So Wesley is like teasing Bianca and he's like, oh, I'm just talking to you to get close to your friends because, you know, you're the duff. And she's like, I'm the what? He's like, you're the duff. And she's like, well, what does that mean? And he's like, it means designated ugly fat friend. And I was like, cool, I hate this book. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think a big part of both the film and the book is overcoming just how maliciously mean the description is. And even though both texts make repeated efforts to say, oh, well, it's not really like you don't have to be ugly to be a duff. You don't have to be fat to be a duff. It's offensive. I remember bristling every time they say it. And especially in the book, whenever he calls her Duffy. Duffy. Yeah, that becomes his pet name for her in a way that is profoundly distressing for me. And also, I mean, the entire book is, it's predisposed on a universe where skinniness is good, right? Oh, yeah. It's the default. Yes. And fatness is, it's not even a body type. It's literally just an insult. Like we're told Mm -hmm. over and over again that Bianca is, oh my God, like let's make it clear that Bianca's not actually fat. We just call her that because she's fatter than her friends. Mm-hmm. it's not even like a descriptor or like a reference to real bodies that exist. It's it's literally just a stand-in easy insult. And for mm-hmm. me, the book actually never recovers from that premise, basically. It's very challenging, even though you get the impression that Bianca... I think the book actually does a better job of it than the film. The Mm -hmm. book makes it very clear that Bianca is actually pretty okay with herself. Yeah. But nobody else seems to be okay with her. Yes. And one of the things that I find distressing, particularly about the Duff moniker, is like, you're the Duff if you feel like you're not the smartest one of your friends. You're the Duff if you feel like you're not the most interesting one of your friends. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So it makes ugliness and fatness, first of all, synonymous, and second of all, a stand-in for literally any insecurity that you have in a way Mm -hmm. that I find really lazy and not atypical of the way society sort of trains 17 year old girls to think about themselves right but that doesn't make it that doesn't make it something i want to read about for 297 pages it ends up almost becoming the loophole that excuses the duff moniker is that oh well in any given situation you could be the duff regardless of what you look like or how smart you are or how popular you are but at the same time that doesn't excuse it and i think that to me is where that immaturity really comes into play is i very much get the impression that bianca is a stand-in for the author yes and she is working through some of her issues at age 17 and in that way it excuses it but it also doesn't make it easier to read well that's the thing right like i don't want to trash this young woman for thinking about her body like society has trained every 17 year old Mm -hmm. girl to think about her body and at the same time i don't want to read about it for 300 pages and i don't think it's helpful or like something that needs to be out in the world (laughs) like like both those things can be true yeah and i think as adults we're actually more prime to Mm -hmm. being put off by it Mm -hmm. i do think that this particular moniker like i i don't know how popular the book was in terms of like i like this book it's a celebrated well-written blah 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 i think the actual moniker is what got this all the attention and made this a bestseller so i do think it resonates with teenagers as horrifying as that is absolutely and you know one of the things is like one of the messages that the book keeps trying to come back to is this idea that if you have a group of friends you are always going to feel somewhat insecure in that grouping at some time like the mm-hmm. whole thing is that the only reason why wesley is never the duff is because he literally only has one friend like yeah. he's never ever vulnerable enough to put himself in a situation where he can be the duff mm-hmm. but yeah for me it just never recovers from the moniker it's tough I, which is a shame because there is some interesting stuff going on in the book so bianca's family life i think is particularly interesting mm-hmm her mother is like this self-help lecturer who just leaves the family for straight up abandons them <laughs> extended periods of time and um her dad is a recovered alcoholic who she's never seen drink he's been in recovery for 18 years but when her mother out of the blue serves him with divorce papers while after being absent for months and months and months he starts drinking again mm-hmm. and gets very abusive he's extremely abusive we find out that that is why he stopped drinking in the first place because he's quite a scary drunk First, he trashes the house, and then in a later incident, he uh, he actually assaults Bianca. Mm-hmm. And I really like the way Cody Klebinger writes about shame in this mm-hmm. regard. Her inability, Bianca is unable to confess to her friends what's going on at home. And so in, she almost loses her friendships because she can't be open with them about yeah. what's been happening. And... Uh, that to me was sort of the most honest component of the book. I agree. Yeah, The part that felt like the most real. So obviously there's a love triangle. Um, Bianca thinks she has a crush on Toby Tucker, who's like the perfect boy. He's like the student the union haircut. president. <laughs> yeah, he's like, he's the perfect good boy. And then also she's distracting herself from the situation at home and uh, an ex-boyfriend who's coming back to town by sleeping with Wesley. And Mm -hmm. so on the one hand, she like wants to be the girl who wants to be with Toby, but she's actually really attracted to Wesley, even though he's sort of constantly picking away at her self-esteem 
because, yeah, he turns Duffy into, like, his affectionate name for her. This is the part that worked the least for me. Hmm. This is where I felt the immaturity of the author showing through because it was just so... The nice boy is boring and the bad boy is hot. (laughs) Right. And the bad boy is secretly complex. Let's find out how secretly complex he is. And the interesting girl who was always thought of herself as an outsider but is really central to all of these people's lives will change the bad boy. (laughs) It's just like, oh, the beats are coming so hard and fast here. Yeah, I didn't care for the ending. It only because, yeah, it really does normalize. And again, it excuses a lot of Wesley's bad behavior towards Bianca. Yeah. Like, there's a moment late in the book where she very physically and emotionally confronts him about calling her the dove and Mm -hmm. why she doesn't like it. And he's surprised. And all I could think of was, "Mm, no. No. I mean, teenagers can sometimes be vacuous. They can be thoughtless. But I can't imagine that he would have ever thought that it was okay to continue calling her that because she so strongly reacted against it the first time. Yes. And she, like, she has explicitly told him that she thinks it's a cruel thing to say. So when he's like, you didn't like it when I kept calling you that cruel thing, but Mm -hmm. I put a cute Y on the end of it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so I didn't care for that, but I think what I did really like is this idea that Bianca can't handle her issues, and then she goes to the person that she has almost the least connection with, because that's such a safe option, right? Like, Wesley is not going to explode her life because he doesn't care about her. She has no ties to him. Yeah. And as a result, she then uses that as her coping mechanism. And that then spirals into something else that she feels shame about that she can't tell her friends about. So I liked the complexity of how shame can almost spiral. And I also really like the fact that the big relationship conflict between her and Jess and Casey is that she won't confide in them and she pulls away and she doesn't talk to them about what's actually happening. It's not, oh, you like this boy and I also like him, which we've just seen a million times before. Yes, I agree with you completely. I do think that what the book handles best is the aspect of shame. But I was just so bored by the triangle. Yeah, the ending is a big old disappointment. The ending is a big disappointment. Just the fact that it's like, (sighs) she's reading um, Wuthering Heights. So Mm. obviously she has a Heathcliff and a Linton. And it's like... Okay. okay. <laughs> and it's not even like, oh, we'll let readers figure this out no, for themselves. No, she just keeps I think telling she us. Said. She tells us over and over again. And it's just so like, it's such a triangle dynamic we've seen a million times before. And mm. I think we've talked about this before that like, I was born 45 years old. So um, yeah, the bad boy construct has never, I've never yeah. had any understanding of why that's interesting to people. And I'm always root for the nice boy because I don't understand anything sure. else. Yeah. And uh, so for me, these these triangles are just so, they just feel so tropey because they just feel so divorced from real life to me. And I do understand that that's not the case for everyone, but we have seen it 10 billion times. Mm-hmm. I think the only appropriate shakeup that we get is the fact that she doesn't end up pulling the rug out from under Toby. Like she no. doesn't become a bad person. It turns out that he's actually also using her because yeah. he broke up with his girlfriend, but he is actually secretly still in love with her. The flip side is I literally rolled my eyes when Toby is so good and so perfect mm. that he's like, you should go, you should go to oh, Wesley. Yeah. I'm like, he's yeah. still a teenage boy. Like... <laughs> 
Yeah, uh, he's not going to be super fine with just being cast aside so that she can no. go date literally the hottest boy on <laughs> campus. <laughs> no, it's absurd. And yeah, I don't know. And then when she's like, when at the very the very last scene, again, book opens and closes at this inexplicable nest club. Mm-hmm. They're at the nest and uh, she's like, we're going to date like normal people. Like We're going to eventually ramp up to sex, but we're not going to, even though they've been having sex for like... All the time. The all, whole time. Like, constant. Anyway, it's just, it, it was very much like the book wanted to have something, something sober to say about sexuality, but also wanted to be able to have lots and lots of sex. And I was mm-hmm. like, you can't just like tack this on at the end. It feels absurd. Well, okay. So we're coming off of the mini-sode on sex and why. Oh, yeah. I was thinking about that a lot when I was reading this. Yeah, because I think this book is actually really fascinating because it's not particularly gratuitous in terms of the description. Like, there's there's more fade-to-black nonsense than I would care for. And yet, I don't know. Again, I was having this polarizing reaction because on one hand, there's a lot of sex in this book, and it's kind of frank. You know, she there's repeated motifs where she just goes to Wesley's house or she calls him up yeah. so that they can literally just have sex. Yeah. But at the same time, the way that Bianca deals with sex, like it's so obviously a coping mechanism, but it's also something like she calls him a man whore the entire book. Yeah. So the book doesn't have a great perspective on sex, even though there is a lot of it. No, it's weirdly moralizing about it, right? Because Mm -hmm. the sex that she in the moment enjoys and is fulfilling for her in a particular way as soon as it's over it's laden with shame and the shame is the central focus of the book and I find that really interesting because on the one hand yeah it wants to sort of be I don't know I think it wants wants to to have its sex and eat it too it wants to have its sex and be (laughs) shameful about it too yeah but I don't find the sex to be particularly sexy sex either Hmm. There are some descriptions of her experience of pleasure, but they're not frequent. More often what we hear about is the shame, the aftermath, the I shouldn't be doing this, the if I can't tell my friends about it, it's not good, like all Mm -hmm. that stuff. Yes, which does feel like a very high school perspective of sex that you're having that you feel like you shouldn't be having. Yeah. And therefore can't talk about with anybody. And I don't want to condemn it because I do think that, as I said, I think the shame is the component of the book that she writes the best. Like, I think that's the most effective component of the book. But it is, it does feel like a particularly American approach to Mm -hmm. teen sexuality, which is, I want enough titillation for ratings, (laughs) <laughs> but I don't want to suggest for a second that female pleasure is okay. <laughs> well, and it's also very interesting to me. So hmm, not to be too confessional, but I was one of those people who kind of learned sex by the basis approach. So like you work up to it, kind of mm-hmm. like what the suggestion at the end of the book is. Yeah. But there's a section where I think it's near the end too, where she might even be talking about how they're going to move forward she flat out tells Wesley she will not give him oral sex and she yep. is disgusted by it. Yep. And all I could think of was this is a very odd perspective to have adopted <laughs> considering was... that you've been having full-fledged intercourse this entire yeah. time. I thought it was absurd. That scene is so weird. Mm-hmm. That scene is where I was like, oh, wow, yeah, you are 17. Like, because <laughs> the yeah. writing of it was very like, ew. Like, ew, David, ew. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> 
as though oral sex is like the dirtiest thing that you could yeah. do. Even when he performs it on her, she of course describes it as mind blowing. And all I could think of was, I'm sorry, a high school boy Unlikely. who knows oral <laughs> sex. Mm. <laughs> so judgy. Uh, speaking of the morality angle, though, what did you make of the Vicky subplot? So this is a girl Ugh. who is condemned around the school because she basically just hops into bed with almost everyone. But of course, because she is a woman, she is the slut of the high school. Yes, and she has a pregnancy scare because, of course, she does. Mm -hmm. um, and the pregnancy scare gets out because, of course, her friends are untrustworthy. Because, of course, they are. Uh, yeah. It's such a tropey moment. For a book that is extremely tropey, it's probably the tropiest. I just felt like it was it lands with such a thud when yeah. Bianca has this moment where she almost accepts, okay, I can have sex with Wesley and not feel ashamed by it. Wow, I guess that makes me a hypocrite for <laughs> spreading all these rumors about <laughs> Vicky. Hmm. Maybe I'm a dick. <laughs> I mean, in some ways, I look at all of these things that we've been talking about and think, wow, this is actually so conducive to what a 17-year-old thinks of the world. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking back to the way that we talked about the kissing booth and how yep. much we hated the juvenile writing in that. Yep. This feels heads and shoulders above it, and yet there's still so much that's aggravating about it. Yep. All extremely correct. It is something that I think I keep coming back to. Like, it's hard to read authentic teenage thinking when you're mm -hmm. an adult because... With the perspective of age, hopefully, you've gained a little nuance, a little compassion, a little empathy. And often those things are really lacking from like, developmentally, often those things are lacking when you're a teenager. Mm -hmm. And it's hard because you want to be like, well, that's just what teenagers are like. Right. But also, you want the book to do something more, I guess, yeah, or I do. Be better. Yeah, to be better. <laughs> Yeah. I'm not trying to pass judgment. It's just, yeah, as an adult reading this, there's so many moments that are horrifying or that are groan inducing or that you just think, mm, you know, I almost wish there was a co-writer to yeah. help give this a little bit more depth. And I think I often have more patience for it when we see some kind of arc because I'm often telling you, well, that's just how teenagers think. But 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 this is a book about working through it. And the problem often, I think, when the writer themselves is in the moment is that there should be no expectation that they're able to write the experience of moving through it, right? Right. But for me, as an adult reader, I want YA to offer some sort of... And in fairness, I think as a reader, when I was a teenager, I wanted my way, to, my YA to show me th how to get through situations. Like that's what I read right. it for often. Hmm. I don't think I would have found a book that mires so deeply in that perspective, particularly attractive even then. Maybe I'm wrong. Like maybe I'm looking back with an adult perspective because I can't not. But mm -hmm. I don't think I would have connected with this book as a teenager because I don't think I would have found any of these experiences particularly well, I think this is just referent. a little too removed from your experiences Definitely. as well right yeah 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 I felt like I saw a lot of real life counterparts in Bianca not my own experience but I'm thinking back to people that I knew in high school you know, there were some fairly promiscuous kids in my high school, and they got a lot of slut shaming. But 
part of it kind of depended on what circles you ran in and whether or not you let that bother you. Like there was a lot of almost inter-click fighting. And if you had, you know, your Jess and your Casey at your side, then it was fine because the other people's opinions didn't matter as much. Yes, I do get that. I do get that. I can see that. But I think maybe my frustration is that it takes her so long in the text to value that friendship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But again, I think some of the, I think a lot of that is authentic too. It's just not satisfying, right? And maybe that's the line that I'm drawing, the difference between what's yeah. authentic and what's satisfying. You know what? I think that actually works for me as well. Maybe it's not satisfying to us as readers, but maybe it is a bit more authentic in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Shall we switch over to the film? Yeah, can we please? (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about labels. The classics still exist. Jock, geek, rocker, mean girl. Sorry. But what I didn't know was I had a brand new label. Where are your girls at? It's actually not my job to give you intel on my best friends. It kind of is, though, as they're duff. Sorry, as they're what? Duff. D-U-F-F. Designated ugly fat friend. What did you just say to me? Every group of friends has one. You know, the one who doesn't look as good, thus making their friends look better. The one who's easy to talk to because no one's trying to get with them. You friended up. Good talk. I'm sorry. <laughs> How could you guys not tell me that I was your duff? Or what? Oh, no, you did. I'm not insane. Yes, you did. I don't want to be anybody's duff. I want to be the dateable one. I will make sure you pass science if you help me with this. Well, you got the easy part. I have to reverse duff you. Are you wearing pajamas? Hey! If I wanted to go shopping, I could have done that with Jess and Casey. I need you to give me real talk. You got a uniboob, your posture sucks. You need to start dressing less like Wreck-It Ralph. Boom, real talk. People like you will never matter here. You need to realize you're only as awesome as you think you are. Oh, oh. oh uh, I, I have a date. Hmm? Don't do that. You do. You don't? Stop. <laughs> Okay, so the film is almost a feature debut of both the screenwriter and the director. So Ari Sandel, this is his feature debut after having directed a couple of shorts, one of which I think actually won an Oscar. So he's coming from a bit of a documentary background and a short form background. And then we've got first time feature screenwriter Josh A. Kagan. And he has not done a lot. Mm-hmm. He worked, I think, primarily on children's television. So it's a weird jump for him. And it doesn't really seem like he's done much since this film. It's a weird group of people anyway, because isn't it produced by Mick G? It is. This is I mean... <laughs> like W hat? It's not as shocking as you might think. If you start to investigate McGee's producing background, he's actually got his fingers in a lot of YA-centric stuff, very involved in a lot of CW-level TV shows. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, it's just as a director, he's a bit of an action movie hack. Man. (laughs) Okay, so in our cast, we have Mae Whitman as Bianca, and people mostly know her from the TV show Parenthood. That means nothing to you. I appreciate that. (laughs) but I know her from somewhere else. Where do I know her from? I... Don't I like it when I make know. you guess why I've seen these actors before. Um, hang on. I know her from... I liked her. Like, I, I enjoyed her in this role. She's the one who gets almost universal acclaim. Like, when you read the reviews for the film, people talk about how likable, how relatable she is. She's Anne in Arrested Development, right? Uh, no. Yes? 
Maybe? Yeah, she is. Are you looking is. it up? Okay. I am looking it up. Yeah, she's <laughs> Anne in Rest of Ellen. His, um, Michael's girlfriend. Right. Okay. George Michael's girlfriend. Uh, it's been ages since I've seen it. Yeah, no, I just remember because she's really good in it. And I think she was in, was she not in Scott Pilgrim? Yes, yeah. She's What's-Her-Face's girlfriend, Roxy. Roxy. Roxy, yeah. Okay, cool. So yes, I knew who she was. The other, the guy who plays the guy, I recognized him, and then I went all the way through his Wikipedia, and I don't know why I've recognized him, because I've seen nothing he's been in. Okay, yeah. So yeah. you were talking about Robbie Amell. He yes. is a Canadian, and... Maybe I just know him from, like, the bus. Maybe, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so he is the cousin of another actor that a lot of people know from the CW, Stephen Amell, who played the titular character on Arrow for like a number of years. So they're kind of like celebrity Canadian actors. Okay. I mean, Robbie Amell has had a a pretty successful career on his own, playing a lot of different things. He was in, you know, Cheaper by the Dozen. He had his own TV show on the CW. He was on Pretty Little Liars for a little bit. A bunch of other things. Cool. For me, I remember telling you before you watched the movie that I had quite enjoyed it when I saw it back in 2015. And I mm-hmm. mentioned last week that I wasn't sure whether it was going to hold up. And I think I texted you midway through the film and was like, it does not hold up. No. But the thing that continues to work for me is the relationship between Mae Whitman and Robbie Amell. They have really good chemistry. Yes. Believable chemistry. The arc of their relationship is believable in a way mm-hmm. that actually more so than it is in the book, frankly. Oh, way, way, way better. I mean, yeah. this is very chaste, all things considered. The big change that the film makes between their relationship is that they are next-door neighbors who have had a shared history with one another. So even though she doesn't like him, she still thinks that he's a bit of a like a man whore kind of idiot. They have a history. They have a history. So she actually knows him and they talk to one another. It's not that it's out of the blue for him to randomly be talking to her as it is in the book. Yeah. And they also don't sleep with each other. Like this film is very G-rated. It is. It's very YA teen comedy for teenagers. We can't include sex in here. We're just going to talk about sex a lot. I do want to talk about how the Madison character... Yes. So Madison is played by Bella Thorne. She is an incredibly popular teen actress. I frankly despise her as an actress. This is literally the role that she plays in every single thing that she's on. They've made her up in a particularly, like I thought she was 35 in the film. (laughs) And then I looked it up and she's actually solidly a decade younger than Mm -hmm. Robbie Amell and Mae Women. Yeah. Yeah. And she looks two decades older than them in the film. It's very odd. It's very shocking. Every time she's on screen, I'm confused. Well, I feel like that actually has a lot to do with the costuming in the film. So I find Bianca is dressed up slightly schlubby, you know, a lot of plaids and t-shirts, very baggy, weird pants. And then Robbie Amell dresses kind of like an actual high school boy where he's got jeans and t-shirts and just regular jackets and then bella thorne looks like she's about to go out to the club in every single scene every scene regardless of what time of day it takes place yes full face of makeup blown out hair like she just came from the salon it's distractingly movie perfect yes I mean, it's not uncommon in these Mm -mm. teen movies, right? Like, 
But typically the other characters also look on par for that. Exactly. Whereas here, they because look they're trying to make Mae Whitman be ugly. <laughs> so they have to dress her in an oversized t-shirt. Um, oh, yeah. Like the, the dichotomy is too strange. But the, mm-hmm. the end result is that even though they are 10 years too old for the role, both Mae Whitman and Robbie Amell look like teenagers. And yes. I must have stared at Wikipedia for like 20 minutes when I found out Bella Thorne was born in 1997. <laughs> I'm just picturing all these memes of Brenna's confusion. She's looking at these ages and that look don't make sense. Wait, is that the corner of the triangle? or is it... It's true. Seriously. Bothered me. So Madison Sorry. is more or less a made up character yeah. for the film. She is Wesley's ex-girlfriend. They're on again, off again. And she is the quintessential mean girl who, of course, has it out for Bianca because Bianca is less than. Yes. So we have an actual Bianca, Bianca Santos as Casey, Skylar Samuels as Jess. They are basically not in this film. They're basically not in the movie. <laughs> no. The film makes a very arbitrary decision to disrupt the friendship and more or less ice these two actresses out until the very end when they just magically become best friends again. Yeah. Didn't like that. It didn't work for me at all to the point where I was like, well, why even have her have friends? Except yeah. for the fact that the duff doesn't make sense in any other capacity. Yeah, it's very classic sidelining a female friendship YA mm-hmm. move. Yeah. Well, and also pitting girls against each other yes. as the main source of conflict, right? Yes. Because this isn't really Bianca against herself. This is Bianca against Madison. Yes. Which, again, makes no sense because in any sort of narrative perspective, she has no reason to care about what Madison thinks. Mm-mm. And Madison doesn't really have a reason to care about her no. because the insinuation is that Wesley is overall popular and an object of sexual desire of nearly all the women. So why would Madison care specifically about Bianca? It's never really explained. No, it is not. It is not. It would almost make more sense to have had a scene where Madison comes over to Wesley's house and Bianca is talking to him and she gets jealous because they already have that shared relationship. But here, it just kind of comes out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. <laughs> it just doesn't work. <laughs> I didn't like this movie. Like, I didn't, I really liked the chemistry between them. And if the movie had just been like, watch these two charming people mm-hmm. be friends at each other. Yeah. Perfect. Lovely. But the but the, the plot doesn't make a great deal of sense. The mm-hmm. other characters, I liked Allison Janney because I always like Allison Janney. Of course. I liked Ken Jeong because I always like Ken Jeong. Nope. Did not care for him at all. Him and Romany Malko as Principal Buchanan. And there's one other guy who I didn't recognize him, so I didn't even bother to list him. But all of the teachers in this film. You're thinking of Chris Wilde, I believe. Is it Chris Wilde? Yeah. As Mr. Fillmore? Yes. Yes. Uh, just did not work for me at all. It felt like the film wasn't confident in its capacity to sell the premise or lean on its young cast. So they tried to bring in adults who are famous for improv and then they just got them to riff a bunch. And it's honestly excruciating to watch. Yes, I agree with you. The scenes where like Ken Jeong and the principal are doing their like surveillance kind of bit. I didn't mm-hmm. like that. Uh, it didn't make yeah. sense. But I did like Ken Jeong's relationship with, I don't remember his name as a character, but his, the teacher's relationship with Bianca, I liked. Right. 
yeah, I liked those moments. I liked the moments when it was just him, when just Mr. Arthur, that's his name, when it was just Mr. Arthur and Bianca. I liked those scenes when he's like, I'm not supposed to have favorites, but you're my favorite. Like, I I kind of dug their relationship. I would have liked more of that and less of the weird slapstick stuff with the principal that didn't make a lot of sense. No. Mm -mm. Yeah. So one of the other big changes that the film makes is that in the film version, Bianca's dad is the one who left and we're given very little detail about the nature of the divorce. Yes, the home life is boring and safe. Yeah, it's very much just, okay, this is a single mother and she has become very successful. So she, in this case, she's still a public speaker, but yeah. of course we use almost in the same way that we tend to use books from English class as models for the narrative and the morality lesson. Here we use Dottie's five stages of divorce as the template for overcoming Bianca's, uh, I don't know, her response to being called the deaf. Yes, agree. So people who like the book do not care for this movie, and people who like the movie tend not to care for the book. I didn't like either. (laughs) I did watch the movie first this time, which, as you know, is not my usual way of going about things. But my brain has been not particularly functional of late, and I couldn't conceive of picking up the book for a while there. So I watched the movie, so I was at least making some progress towards uh, our goals. Mm -hmm. And I found that the movie was like, eh. And then... I read the book and I was sort of retroactively disappointed in what the movie tried to do. But I could see that if I was more invested in the idea of the comedy, which I'm not quite invested in um, Mm -hmm. here, I would have been annoyed by the book. Right. And vice versa. And vice versa. What I thought instead was that the film failed to see what was interesting about the book. Right. Even what was interesting and unsuccessful about the book I would have preferred to, to see addressed. Mm-hmm. that's where i'm at i saw a couple of different reviews from people who read the book liked the book watched the movie were disappointed where they said this could have been something on the level with perks of being a wallflower in terms of seriously mm. tackling a little bit of traumatic interior life of someone who doesn't quite fit in and i thought okay that's actually a bit of an astute observation mm-hmm. obviously not on par in terms of writing mm-hmm But then, yeah, you see the film and it really feels like, okay, I watched 10 Things I Hate About You and Easy A and (laughs) I'm just going to crib all the successful parts of those films, which is a lot of slapstick comedy, a lot of witty banter, a lot of sexual innuendo. Yeah. And I think what we end up getting as a result is a film that doesn't do anything original for itself. Like, it casts these really likable people, and then it just envelops them in a fairly rote, kind of standard formulaic YA film. Like, uh, a good example of this is their decision to make Toby a bad guy. Mm Mm-hmm. And in the book, it annoyed me that Toby was so good. Like, (laughs) he's so perfect. He even is like, I'm not the right person for you at the end of the book. But in the film, they use Toby to reinforce... Bianca's status as the duff so it turns out she goes on this date with Toby and he seems to be attempting to impress her but really he just wants to find out more information about Jess and Casey Mm -hmm. in a way that was not believable why would he go to all that effort no it didn't make any sense and it just served to undercut like part of what's good about the film is Mae Whitman's self-assuredness regardless of the context of what's going on around her right but that gets weirdly undercut by the decision to to make the one date she gets to go on a reinforcement of this Duffy moniker. Mm-hmm. 
I had actually completely forgotten about the reveal that he was a bad dude. And you can see when you watch the film that it's very much played for laughs, Mm -hmm. right? She gets to find the sushi bag in the trash that he says he prepared himself. And she gets to say that his song sucks. And, you know, it's meant to be this a bit of F yeah, girl power. I got the upper hand on this bad situation. But when you start to think about it, It's actually the film just kind of playing a really mean long con on its main character. It, like the film is just filled with those kinds of moments. So we mentioned earlier that there's a cyberbullying aspect. So Madison makes these weird video memes that go viral around the school because she has a henchman who videotapes everything she does because she anticipates she will soon become a... (laughs) reality tv star which just kind of pinpoints this film as so specifically 2015 yes <laughs> she needs content for her vine videos yes and everyone is like oh right vines those were a thing once upon a time <laughs> well there's this one scene where he one of the teachers names all the current social media and it's mm-hmm. like I'm uncomfortable. The whole scene made me uncomfortable. (laughs) Oh, yeah. This is why you don't say it. You just say, oh, yeah, it's on all the social media. Because we don't know if Friendster and (laughs) Snapchat will still be a thing in a couple of years. Well, that's the thing, right? Like, it's always weird to me when teen comedies don't realize how fast teen culture moves. Because it's like, literally, you have one job Mm -hmm. to be aware of this. That's it. Yeah. Particularly when everything about this film is, this is how the teens speak. This is Mm -hmm. how the teens act. These are their lived realities. So, of course, we also disappointingly... So we get the cyberbullying stuff. We get a She's All That style makeover for the final scene, which also takes place at the prom. (laughs) (laughs) All I could think of was, holy cow, this movie is phoning this It really And was. it's so disappointing, right? Because Mae Whitman walks in and they basically say, oh, look, Mae Whitman is an actual gorgeous human being who looks great. Like, people, she's not even regular. And I'm doing that with air quotes. I know. Maybe they cinched her waist a little bit, but she looks model beautiful. She's yeah. got this professionally designed dress that Jess made her that is, of course, a combination of a classic dress as well as her favorite plaid outfit. Wow. Speaking about convenient expertise, by the way, like, right? why is Jess a fashion designer? <laughs> because the film needs someone to make that dress uh, for the final scene. That scene is absurd. Just go to a mall, you people. Like, I don't understand. Yeah. It's just so frustrating because honestly, I still actually enjoy this film. I hate most of it, but I honestly find Amel and Whitman yeah. are so darn charming. They're extremely charming. I find them both kind of adorable and like visually very appealing as a couple. It's my feeling that this film would be best watched as a series of YouTube clips. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> I 100% agree with that statement. <laughs> yeah. If it was just them, like, having that moment where he kisses her on the rock and then she's like, no, I'm going to teach you how girls like to be kissed and then she licks his face. I love that scene. These two have a jit, like, this is honestly the best chemistry that we have maybe seen in a YA film since we started doing this. Yeah, it is. And it's hilarious that it is cloaked in this just utterly generic, boring, bland, garbage take on YA romance comedy. Yeah. Yeah. 
do want to give director Ari Sandel a bit of a shout out because I do think there are a couple of fun moments scattered throughout the film. I like the visual of the video from her at the mall where she's doing the like Toby mannequin thing. Yeah. It's ridiculous, but it's kind of fun to watch the viral count go up in the course of a quick little montage throughout the school. Yeah. I kind of like the arrows in the cafeteria scene where Bianca is looking around and she's seeing all the duffs in the various groups. Yeah. It's a bit of a fun play on the typical cafeteria scene that we've talked about in so many other film versions of this. Yeah, he has a good visual sense. He is able to draw unique beats out of those very tropey scenes, which I did appreciate. Mm -hmm. I do sometimes feel like there could have been a bit more of those. Like when you get them, such as when Wesley is talking about the different gameplay approaches to a date so that you can get a kiss, like a dark corner, a booth, you know, you need less than three feet of space between the players and you see all of the stuff. And then of course it comes out to a a penis joke on the chalkboard at the end of it. You're thinking, okay, this is all relatively amusing. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think the film just needed a bit more of that. I'm going to lay a lot of the blame on Kagan for just really phoning it in. It seems like he watched a bunch of movies in a single weekend and then wrote the script for this. Yeah, I feel that way too. And I'm not even sure he read the book. <laughs> like I think <laughs> like he, got he read told... the back of the book and then was like, I got it. Thanks. Yeah, I, th- I think he got told these are the characters' names and there's this bit called the Duff. Right. Go. <laughs> And also, one of these characters is going to be a Latina, but also don't give her any personality. Yeah, and don't give her more than 12 lines. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, oh, it wasn't good. And it's funny because I do remember when this came out, and I remembered a lot of people watching it and really enjoying it. So I was really confused by how generic and bland I found it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> just to maybe wrap this up, I will tell you that this film was nominated for five Teen Choice Awards, and sure. it won one of them for your favorite, Bella Thorne, oh, f- as Best Villain. Absolutely absurd. <laughs> That's actually more a testament to the actress's popularity than the film or the role. <laughs> People love her. I don't get it. I don't get it. All right. Well, um, <laughs> I'm shall we some... move into some YA bingo? Yeah. Bingo! Not a good bingo. All right. What have you got? Okay. Obviously, perfect date. Yes. Several perfect dates. Several perfect dates. Definitely, we've got our queer secondary character in the book. He doesn't even make it into the movie, I don't think. Mm-hmm. And we could also say Vicky is our slutty. Slutty secondary character. Yeah, good yeah. point. Obviously, some sexual awakening happening. Mm-hmm. Unlikely friendship. Yes. I feel like more so in the book. More so in the book, yeah. In the film, it's more like they've rediscovered their childhood friendship. Yeah. Obviously, I have to put it in for convenient expertise for fashion mm-hmm. design. <laughs> I'm definitely going to include Love Triangle more so for the book. Right. And I'm going to include Abuse for the book. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. The moment where her father hits her was genuinely shocking. Yeah. Because I didn't expect it. It didn't seem like the book had it in it, if that is terrible to say. but Well, no. And he is so built up as such a gentle and beleaguered character. Like one of the things she keeps saying is she can't picture what he was like when he was drinking. Like she can't imagine what that was like. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, And then my last one is allusions to classic literature. We have an extended bit on Scarlet Letter and then an extended bit on Wuthering Heights. Both are tedious. Very tedious. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, I'm going to throw in some mediocre white boy action for film version of Toby. Yes, good good call, good call. <laughs> I'm also going to say growing apart for the film, or sorry, for the book relationship with the friends. Yes, I like that. It's frustrating that everything is just so easily worked out, but mm-hmm. I did kind of feel... Yeah, as we mentioned, I like the relationship between the girls in the book and how everything hinges on this idea that friends, even if they do have very different interests, they will, you know, make that effort to tell each other things. Yes, agreed. Okay, we've got rich people problems in the book for Wesley's family money issues. Totally forgot about that. Yeah, well, because it kind of comes to nothing, right? It's used as an excuse for why he is the way he is. Right. And then my final one is stunt casting for Alice and Janney. And you could make the argument for some of the other people, but the minute she showed up, I was like, oh, of course they would cast her as the mom. Yes, I agree. She is total stunt casting. She's always stunt casting. Doesn't mean I don't love looking at her, but... Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Especially when you look at what she gets to do in this movie, it's pathetic. This yes. was not even a role worthy of her. No, it absolutely wasn't. In fact, she I think she forces some complexity into a character that otherwise would not have had any. Right, because that's Alison Janney, man. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so I would like to point out that that gives us a two lines. <gasps> Mm-hmm. Have we ever had two lines before? I think once before. Wow. But yeah, it's uh, pretty rare. Good work, tropiest book of all time. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> huh. Alrighty, Joe. So let's say that people wanted to get a hold of us to tell us that we've really missed the boat on <laughs> this book and film. Uh, if you've got long form stuff, you can email us at hkhspod at gmail.com. We are always looking for minisode ideas, reflections, critiques, things we can build on in those minisodes. So don't hesitate to get in touch. Joe, if they want to just tell you about how much Bianca Thorne is their special fave, uh, how are they going to find you? I'm sorry, Bianca Thorne? Are you what's just combining name? people now? Yeah, what's your name? <laughs> Bella. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, they. Who could care, Joe? Who could care? Certainly not me, because my noted disdain of her is all over the internet. <laughs> yeah, if you want to tell me that you like Bella Thorne, come at me. I'm at Beast on my remote, and that's the letter B. I'm at Brenna C. Gray. That's Gray with an A. And if you want to catch both of us, you can use the hashtag HKHSpod. It's really nice to find that hashtag and see that people are using this show for a little bit of relief and a little bit of relaxation in these complex and interesting times. Mm. So keep telling us uh, when you're listening, where you're listening, and what you're getting out of the show. It means a lot to us. Yeah. So we have kind of an exciting mini-sode coming up, Joe. Mm-hmm. So um, there's a movie that's about to drop on video on demand, I think, because we are all locked in our houses. Exactly that, yeah. (laughs) So Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always is dropping on Friday, April 3rd, which, Joe, happens to be a very important day. Is it your birthday? It is my birthday. (laughs) It is my birthday. Well, happy birthday to you. (laughs) So nobody's going to hear this until after that date, but... Nonetheless, uh, we're going to do a mini-sode on Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. So that'll be next week's show. Yes, yeah. And I think we're also overdue to talk a little bit on anything that we're reading, because I've got a couple of updates to make. I'm not sure what your situation is like, but I can carry you through if you need me to. (laughs) Thank you. I'm hoping to one day read a book again. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and in two weeks, we are going to be back with a full-length episode, and we're going to stray away from high school for a little bit. We're going to go magical, Brenna. I'm thinking we're going to talk about The Lightning Thief, which is the first entry in the Percy Jackson series, and that is from 2005. And then we're going to be talking about the film adaptation, which is directed by our friend Chris Columbus, Uh he of the original Harry Potter, Mm. which is Percy Jackson and the Olympians, The Lightning Thief from 2010. So I'm genuinely excited about this because I've never interacted with this property in any way. Okay. And I can't think of a better time for some escapist fantasy. Yeah, Yeah. I have seen the film and it's kind of fun. Okay, cool. And again, I have no idea whether it's going to hold up, but it's celebrating 10 years this year. So I thought, why not? Yeah, let's do some escapism. Let's do a little bit of magic. And we got a lot of Greek mythology coming our way. Nice. Okay, Mm -hmm. cool. All right. Well, um, I guess that means we're at the end of the show. And so uh, until next time, folks, stay well, stay safe, and I will see you on the page. And I will see you on the screen. Take care, folks.